0: Hey, everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Kathleen Shannon is a boss. She is the co-founder of Braid Creative, and she is the co-host, co-author, and co-founder of Being Boss. She is passionate about branding, good typography, and creating content that helps creatives Blend more of who they are into the work that they do. Today, I get to have her on the show. She is all around the country right now touring for her book launch tour for the Being Boss book. They have an audience of hundreds of thousands of people who listen to their podcast all about being boss and doing the work. And today, I get to talk about her motherhood journey and her parenting journey and how that interweaves with her entrepreneurship journey. In today's episode, we talk about how much motherhood challenged her. She was treated with postpartum depression and anxiety. She tells about how she didn't really know whether or not she wanted to be a parent. She was 50-50 for a long time, and she felt really conflicted because not knowing which way to go was hard. And then lastly, she shares all of her thoughts on daycare and how awesome it is and how much it works for her. And she says, daycare is awesome, and everyone should do it, if you want to, of course. So let's get started and welcome Kathleen to the show. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Life can be really unpredictable, especially when you're getting ready to add a baby to your life. The sponsor of this episode, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting your breast pump a little bit easier. Actually, a lot easier. Head to aeroflowbreastpumps.com startup to have them help you qualify for a free breast pump through insurance. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll walk you through how it works and tell you a little bit more of how Aeroflow breast pumps can save you so much time. All right, everyone, I am so excited to welcome Kathleen Shannon to the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled to have you. I have a copy of your new book in my hands. It is amazing. From the outside, you're this impressive, inspiring <laughs> business owner. You run all these things, Braid Creative, this branding agency, and also Being Boss in partner with Emily Thompson. You've got a book coming out. You've got this hit podcast. But before we go into like all of the good and all of the strengths in the business area, I want to dive into talking about parenting with you and your parenting journey? Because we have shared a lot of experiences and we're in a group together and we've gotten to witness the messy side. So can you <laughs> can you start, like, take us back. Tell us about your parenting journey. When did it begin? What has it been like?
1: Yeah, I feel like you've been privy to like the inner mess, you know, like, so yes, from the outside, all of these things look impressive, but I'm losing it just like every other mom and dad and parent out there. So For sure. I would love to talk about this. And it's something that I feel like isn't talked about enough. In fact, during our first draft of the book, we had completely left out any talk of being you know, working moms. And our editor came back and was like, wait a second, don't you all have kids? How do you manage that? So this is something that I love talking about because I love my business and I love my kid and I love being a mom. Well, I say I love being a mom. I'm sure we'll get into that sometime. It just, it comes with its challenges. So to start the journey, I became pregnant with my baby boy, Fox, who is now four years old, whenever I was 31 years old. And I did have that successful branding and consulting business. But I was secretly reading mom blogs all the time before I got pregnant. And I was truly 50-50 on the idea of whether or not I wanted to have kids. I was incredibly envious of my friends who were getting vasectomies or knew for sure that they never wanted to have children. And I was also at the same time envious of my friends who were accidentally getting pregnant because I felt like either these people were really firm in their choice or it was just accidentally happening and the choice had been made. I have always had a lot of agency over the choices that I make in my life and I truly could not decide if parenting was for me or not. And Hmm. so you know, it was just a lot of conversations with my husband and One day we just kind of went for it. And so I became pregnant. Yeah, the pregnancy happened. And you know, before we started recording, we were talking about like rough pregnancies versus really easy pregnancies. And I felt like mine was pretty easy. I was certainly tired and pukey through the first trimester. But throughout it, I was capturing and shaping and sharing the journey along the way I was doing kind of like a week by week blog post about it. Now as a mom, I think I would never have the energy to (laughs) record my pregnancy week by week. But at the time, I was personally blogging about it. And I was really through that exploring what kind of mom I wanted to be. And I, I was really diving into and naturally gravitating toward all of the attachment parenting philosophies. So everything from home birthing to co-sleeping to baby wearing to exclusively breastfeeding and baby led weaning and all the things, right? But all the things that were to require a lot of time and attention and commitment and dedication, But I was in it like this is my first baby. Like, let's do it. Let's go all the way. And I will tell you secretly, I kind of thought maybe I would just shut it all down and be a full time stay at home mom and, you know, making my baby's food and homeschooling and all of that. Well, as I was pregnant, this is kind of woo-woo, but I felt like as you know, my belly was growing and I was creating this life inside of my body, I felt this kind of expansion and abundance in everything. So my business was growing too. And it was becoming pretty clear that I love working and that there was some legs under this business I was creating. And so after I had the baby around... I would say around whenever he was six weeks old, my husband went back to work. So I was fortunate that he was able to take a lot of time off with me. And I was craving work too. And so I took my baby to a daycare. He, I remember he was six weeks old and I went on a tour through the daycare and I was so nervous and I just didn't know if I was making the right choices. But at eight weeks, I went back to work and haven't looked back since. The baby's still at daycare. He hasn't come home yet. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) Four years later. How are you doing over there? Uh, That's so funny. I'm really glad that you said this, that you started out by saying that you were 50-50. Because what surprises me about a lot of listeners for Startup Pregnant, I thought I would have a ton of people who are pregnant or parents. And what's happening is we have like at least a third of our listeners are people who say, I'm in that space of not knowing. I am, you know, 27, 28, 32, 35, thinking about having children. And I just don't know because it can go either way. And taking us into that mental landscape of what it feels like, we have all these choices and these possibilities, work and parenting and how we do it. But that doesn't make making the decision necessarily any easier.
1: Yeah, it's the hardest decision I've ever made. I wish that it had been easier. And I wish I could even tell your listeners who are truly 50 50. I wish I could just say, do it, go for it. And I also wish I could just say, you know what, don't don't do it. (laughs) And it probably depends on which day you're talking to me that I will tell you one or the other. So (laughs) it's just like anything else where there are ups and downs, and you just have to do some like good gut checking.
0: There's no sparkly rainbow unicorn that guarantees success at the end of parenting. Right. (laughs) Wait a second. You know what? Mine was
1: like my decision-making process. It was kind of like a quit smoking date. You know how some people are like, okay, on this date, I will quit smoking. And basically, it was like, okay, on, on my birthday, on May 5th, we will stop pulling out. So that's kind of how it (laughs) works.
0: I love that. Withhold the goalie or whatever the phrase is. Pull the goalie. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, and for people who are listening, if you're a first time listener, we have a couple of episodes with parents who've been really honest about how they had kids and really struggled with it and decided to become non-custodial parents later on down the line, which is, I think, just such an awesome and generous thing for people to talk about, because it's not a common thing that I hear a lot. And yet, The decision to become a parent and to get pregnant and how you feel about it. It's so complex and you can have all of the feelings. I think this is something Kathleen and I share is that I think you may have seen this earlier this morning. So we're in this group, but I wrote this morning that. I just spent seven days away from my kid and I freaking loved it. Like it was amazing. I got full nights of sleep. I got to do my own thing. I felt like my own person again. And then I got home, saw my kid and my husband and promptly sobbed for an entire day. So you feel all the things like you you don't, it's not like you have a moratorium. If you like it all, that's just how it's going to be. That's something I appreciate about you so much is that you share both of it. So daycare is something I know that you're passionate about, by the way. You mentioned it. You brought your kid to daycare around eight weeks, it sounds like. Six Mm -hmm. weeks, eight weeks.
1: Yeah. Tell me why you love daycare and what it's been like for you. Well, I think that there's this trend with attachment parenting and just parents, you know, our age or this day and age where, you know, people say things like it takes a village. But then whenever it comes down to it, I feel like we're expected to be everything to our children, to be making all of the food, to be co-sleeping, to be breastfeeding, or sleep training, you know, like to be all these things to this person. I think the same thing happens in marriage a lot too. You know, maybe this is a good thing to relate it to, especially for your listeners who don't have kids is like, whenever you put so much pressure on your partner to be everything to you from your best friend to your lover to your house manager to all the things like that's where it just it's just too much. It's too much pressure. And so for me, for daycare, I just felt like, you know, everyone talks about this village and it takes a village, but no one is actually talking about their village or really relying on their village or kind of breaking down what their village looks like. Whenever I was making my decision about daycare and feeling really guilty about it, honestly, I started Googling why daycare is awesome. I remember that's the exact search phrase I used. This is like my secret as a parent. I'm constantly Googling like my worst fears and insecurities, like whenever it comes to parenting, like why does my kid hate me? So I was Googling, why is daycare awesome? And I could not find the article. I kept reading articles about, you know, how to find a good daycare. But all of them were kind of had this nuanced message that, daycare was the least desirable of all of my options and that it was like the articles were phrased almost as consolation. Like if you can't stay at home with your kid, you know, here's why daycare is okay. And I wanted that, like, here is why daycare is the best thing ever article. That's the support that I needed. And it wasn't out there. And so I decided that if the article wasn't out there, I was going to write it myself. And I wasn't able to really articulate all of this until my kid had been in daycare for about a year or two. And here's what I found. I found, one, that daycare is an investment. So I know a lot of women get really frustrated, especially whenever the cost of daycare takes up a huge chunk of their paycheck. But I want to mention a couple of things here is that, you know, unless you're a single mom, daycare is a household expense. Like this is an expense that comes out of the whole bucket. It shouldn't just come out of like, oh, the mom's salary. And I feel like this is a default that happens so much. And it's a default that people aren't really considering how sex as it is. And then also, you know, like (laughs) if your job makes you happy and my job does make me happy. So even if my child was going to daycare and it was eating up my entire paycheck, I feel like one, it's not forever. So it's an investment in that way. I'm able to grow my business as my child is in daycare, even if I'm making no money. But also, I think of it as like an investment in energy. And so if your job makes you happier, you're going to be a happier parent whenever your kid comes home. So that's huge. And then also, you know, going back to the village idea, like it's really easy to think of daycare as this like anonymous, faceless, nameless institution, right? But the truth is, is that there are people at daycare who will love on your baby. And even now that my son is four years old, he goes to like a Montessori slash daycare. So he's starting to get into that preschool age Mm. and he's learning so much there. And the women and men who are there teaching him Like, they love him so much. And I feel like it's just expanding his capacity for love by being loved by more people than just me.
0: So have you written this article, Why Daycare is Awesome?
1: Yeah, I've written it. And it (laughs) it goes into all these points that I'm mentioning here. So I I will send that to you if you have show notes. We have show notes. Okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else I always hear is like, oh, but I didn't have a baby so someone else could raise it. And like you guys, it's awesome to have someone else raise your kid. Like if someone else is teaching my kid how to poop in the potty and how to dance and read, I feel like daycare is far more hands on with my kid than I could be if he was home with me all day. Because the truth is, whenever he's home with me all day, he's on his iPad because I got to (laughs) work.
0: I'm probably right there with you. I love so much about what daycare, at least the daycare that we're in, offers our kid. He learns so much from the teachers and from the other kids. And it's right for him. I miss him sometimes. Like my ideal would probably be four days a week instead of five days a week. But each parent, you got you to gotta figure it out and decide on your own and There's so much to put in there. Mm, I also love what you said about the village part. It's so strange that like if we were doing diversification of a portfolio, if we were investing our money, we wouldn't put all the money in one fund. Yet that's somehow what we do with parents. We're like, you have one mom and this is the only person who shall ever matter to you. And it's like, actually, what if you had a robust portfolio of like 12 adults who loved you and took care of you and that you could learn from? I just... It's such an interesting and weird model where we've shoved
1: all this responsibility on a single person and then made them feel really guilty for not being able to do all of that. Uh, Amen. And, you know, I love what you said, though, about like it being right for each child and each parent. And this is another thing that really helped me through the whole process and is still helping me through the process is that I can change my mind at any point. Like I we can figure something else out. And we have, you know, so for actually, you know, after I wrote that article and my kid was around two and a half, I think I actually pulled him from daycare. So his very favorite teacher left to be a nanny. And I could tell that he was kind of miserable for about a week. and. The teacher that had left to become a nanny, the other family said, Hey, do you want a nanny share? And so we did that for a year. And we did that until it didn't work anymore. And then he went back to daycare. And so I think that's the other thing about parenting that I didn't know before I was a parent. And I still get kind of stuck in this black and white linear thinking earlier, you're talking about how we have so many complex layered emotions. And I think that what we see on the internet is either like funny titled books, like my kid is an a hole, or the perfect Pinterest, Instagram, Custom made clothes from France on babies. You know, like we just see the happy side or the hard side or, you know, just these one dimensional emotions that are attached to parenting. Yeah, that's like something I'm learning through is that it's complex and layered and I can be happy and like so full of love and gratitude and also so angry at the same time. But bringing this back to daycare is just that like I wish I knew before going into parenting how fluid it is and how much, you know, you just have to evolve with it because your kid is constantly changing who you are as a parent is constantly changing. Your business is constantly changing and that will call for different you know requirements. Mm, that's so
0: smart and that applies to both business and parenting. What works in in your business marketing strategy for a year, what you're doing on Facebook or Pinterest or wherever might work and then it might stop working and you have to figure out a new strategy and it's exactly the same when it comes to your kid. He may love daycare for a year and then all of a sudden, oh, it's time to switch. Things have changed. The inputs are different. He needs more space to run, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So speaking of multi-layered, complex emotions, you wrote something that I want to make sure to touch on because I think it is just so important for other people to hear about this. You wrote that you were incredibly challenged by motherhood and you were treated with postpartum depression anxiety long after your son was born. Can you tell us a little bit about this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of hard to remember because as you know, like those days are so fuzzy. So I suffered from first and foremost, sleep deprivation. My kiddo woke up between eight and 10 times a night for the first year. And I was breastfeeding that whole time. So that was for 12 months. And then I weaned him at 15 months. So I'm sure around 15 months, He was still, though, waking up around six to eight times a night through the second year. And so I was extremely tired, first and foremost. And probably around the time that he was, it was between 15 and 18 months old. I went into my midwife's office and my intention was to be sterilized. I had heard that there were those like tubal fissure corkscrews that they could just do in office. And so I went into her office with the intention of, you know, kind of talking about birth control, but I wanted to be sterilized. And so... I sit up on the counter and it was so funny because like I had actually had a home birth, but with my home birth midwife, she wasn't able to make prescriptions. There's just different things that she wasn't able to do that the midwife in the hospital could do. And I remember this midwife that I saw, I was really close with her. And even whenever I thought like, hey, if I have to be transferred from home, can I call you? Like, will you be the one to deliver the baby? And so she was really sweet and really cared about me. And so I'm in her office. I'm telling her I want to be sterilized. And she just looked at me in the eyes and she said, I will absolutely sterilize you. She said, But what's going on? And I just started bawling. One, the fact that she told me that she would do it, like I almost wanna cry thinking about it. It made me feel believed. And it made me feel like I could trust her. And then she asked me what was going on. Like she saw through it. She saw that I was struggling big time. I guess you know in hindsight like women don't just come into offices saying i want to be sterilized as their like first postpartum visit back so i just told her like it's just really hard like everything's really hard and i'm doing all the things i am meditating i am putting my feet in the earth I am eating whole 30 like I'm eating really well I'm taking my vitamins I am you know wearing makeup oh so this is another thing as I think because like I was doing all the right things and running a successful business and at this point launching the Being Boss podcast which felt almost like an overnight success you know I was doing all these things I think that even like the people closest to me thought that I had it together and I just didn't and so I was just telling her that it was really hard and that I feel like I had made a terrible decision and that I had ruined my life and that it was just too hard. And she explained to me that my batteries were incredibly low and that all the things that you should or could be doing to make yourself feel better from exercise to eating right to self-care to meditation, whenever none of those things are working, it means that there's something deeper happening. And so she had me fill out like a depression and anxiety worksheet. And this is the first time I realized that depression was and anxiety was like on a spectrum. So like we were talking about earlier, I thought it was kind of black and white. Like you were either postpartum depressed or you weren't. You either had anxiety or you didn't. This is the first time I realized that there was a scale to it and a spectrum. And so definitely I scored high on that depression and anxiety part of the worksheet. So she had prescribed me some anti-anxiety or antidepressants. And she said, this is going to help you just recharge your batteries. She goes, this isn't forever. Like we were talking about earlier, everything is fluid and everything changes. She said, but I think that this is really going to help. So take these for three months. And then if you still want to be sterilized, I will absolutely do it. You know, do you need birth control now? You know, what's up? So she helped me out on all fronts. I went and filled that prescription. And it's funny because I'm the first person in my immediate family to go on medication for anxiety or depression. And so it felt almost taboo and I couldn't believe it. And so I called everybody like the overshare I am. I called everybody in my family and I go, oh, my gosh, guess what happened? I got some mixed reactions, I got some support, and I started taking the medicine and I started to feel better. And it saved me.
0: It's so important. And I'm so glad you shared that, especially how sometimes when you're doing everything you can to feel better and you don't, it's time to get some help. But it's really hard, I think, in those situations to have an outside perspective yourself. You have to go see other people and have them say, hey, you don't seem like yourself, right? Or of course I'll sterilize you. God, what a beautiful thing for her to say. Right. But let's <laughs> let's also wait and pause and breathe and see what else is going on. So how long did you take the medicine and are you still taking it? Do you mind me asking all yeah, these questions? No, these
1: are okay. these are good questions. So I took the medicine for I'm so terrible with timelines, but I'm pretty sure I took the medicine for about a year. And I can't remember why I stopped taking it. I think that this happens to a lot of people who are taking medicine where once they start feeling really good, they're like, okay, I don't need this anymore. And I truly did feel like at that point, my batteries were up a little bit. My son, still doesn't sleep through the night I will mention but now it's just one time a night that he wakes up and I had cured some of my insomnia so the other thing was even as he was sleeping more I was still staying awake it's like I had gotten in this pattern of sleep deprivation and insomnia and probably also with work stress and all of that my mind was racing so as soon as I was able to get the sleep under control and started feeling just a little bit better it took about a year to like feel really stable again I did wean myself off of the medicine and I remember there were some undesirable side effects that I didn't like, like diarrhea and just a wonky tummy. And then also I was having really bad night sweats every night. And also like at the root of it, I am pretty crunchy and I don't want there to be any taboo around medicine, but I also want to be... Consciously medicating, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I was at the point where I was like, okay, I want to try and get off of this and see what happens, but not at all opposed to it. And now I'm so glad I had that experience because I think it's easy to be judgy about medicine if you don't come from a family that has ever taken medicine for mental health issues or if you've never taken medicine yourself for mental health issues. So I'm glad to have that perspective, but I'm also glad to be off of the medicine. There are certainly days where I'm like, do I need medicine again? I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like, What's going on?
0: There's so many things you're saying here that I think are so interesting. And one thing strategically that you did that I'm not even sure I just want to point out because I think it's so interesting. A lot of times when we start businesses or any project, we know what the start is, but we don't know what the end point is. Like, what Mm -hmm. is this business? What do we want it to turn into? What's the outcome? Like, what kind of business am I running? And so I think this is even in your book, and you guys have talked about it, but designing where are you going? What do you want your life to look like at the end? Sounds like your midwife actually did that with you a little bit. Instead of just saying, here's the pill, you're going to be on this for the next 40 years of your life. It was, (laughs) here's the start point, and here's our projected end point. We're going to try it for three months. It's going to be an experiment. We'll you know, measure again to see what the change has been, and then we'll design a plan to get you off of it, which I think is such a wise set of questions to ask.
1: Yeah. And I think that even her phrasing it as your batteries are low, it was almost like whenever my batteries felt recharged even deeper than the medicine kind of giving me that superficial boost. Like once I kind of knew in my gut that things were better, I knew that I could kind of start to wean off of it. Mm-hmm. So smart.
0: And I love that metaphor, the batteries, because sometimes like my husband and I, we have this language where we talk about like emotional resilience and having a toolkit of lots of different things you can do to take care of yourself. And if you ever find yourself relying on only one thing, like, you know, my stress release mechanism is alcohol. And that's the only thing that's a dangerous place to walk into. Or my stress release mechanism is is exercise, because if you injure yourself, and you can't exercise, all of a sudden, Mm -hmm, everything gets mm -hmm. thrown out of whack. So we always talk about trying to have at least four or five different kind of resilience mechanisms. It's like, okay, we both go to therapy. We both make sure we maintain our outside friendships. We both journal. We both, like. there's a lot we do, right? Try to get regular sleep. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're doing all of that. You were doing it all, all five things. And she's like, we're going to try one other thing. Like we're going to expand. I'm so, so happy that you're sharing this.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me share. It's something that I want to shine a light on because I do think that it's something that people are ashamed about and in the moment or even just confused about like I didn't think I was a depressed person because I didn't look like I had depression or I thought that anxiety was just like, doesn't every business owner mom feel like this? And like, yes, and that doesn't necessarily mean that every business owner and mom needs to be on medicine, but you know how you're coping with it and how it's presenting and what the results could be for your business and your family, like you've got to find a solution one way or another.
0: Yes, yes. So what does it mean to manage your mental health like
1: a boss? Ooh, For me, managing my mental health like a boss right now, I would have to say I love the toolkit metaphor that you talked about, you know, like having those different tools of resiliency. But I think it's also understanding your symptoms. I think that a lot of times we ignore the signs. And so a boss recognizes when they're kind of spiraling down, right? Like that frog in the hot water metaphor. Like I think that that happens to a lot of us where we're that frog in the pot of water and we don't know that our lives are in danger until it's boiling, right? But I think a boss can recognize when that water is heating up by just being able to see the symptoms. Mm. So for me, that's it. And then also asking for help been asking for help in, in a variety of ways from multiple people. Again, like I said, you know, our partners, we kind of expect them to be everything to us. Our partners are not always our therapists or our life coaches or, you know, that professional that can help us in that way. Asking for help from your support system. So, you know, from your daycare providers or from your family, your business bestie, you know, I think that that's a big part of it as well. And I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I have definitely found that Really embracing the work-life blend and knowing that who I am as a mom is impacting my business and that my business is impacting who I am as a wife and a mom. You know, like realizing that it's all in it together really helps me manage my stress in all of the places so that I'm not, you know, compartmentalizing or separating, but really bringing my whole self to all of the places and managing my stress in all of the places equally because I know that they're going to affect each other. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like on a day where I'm feeling like if I'm especially struggling with a parenting issue... In a management meeting, like with Emily, my co-host at Being Boss, for example, I might just say like, oh, man, I had this rough morning. And she's like, oh, me too. And just kind of bringing that relatability piece into it, like we're human beings and we have human issues, it just kind of like clears the air. So now I can think about business instead of bringing any sort of resentment that day that I might have toward my child to my business partner. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, a 100%. Because it's not like you stop being a mom for eight hours a day, and then you stop being a business owner for the rest of the day, there's so much overlap. And we carry through these emotional worries. I remember the whole week that my kid was switching daycare and starting a new place. I was probably 75% or less effective because I was my mind was so I was like, is he doing all right? Is he mad at me? What's going on? And just owning that helped. Yeah, for Mm. sure. You said that business, you've changed both like parenting influenced business and businesses influenced parenting. What have you had to unlearn or break or change in your business life as a result of becoming a parent?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. I think I don't know that I've had to unlearn or break anything because I have surrounded myself with creative entrepreneurs who are working moms. I have this really good influence around me of women like yourself who are making it work, right? So more than anything, I think that what I've had to embrace is just this idea that I need to be fluid with my expectations in, you know, my business changing as my family changes and what that looks like and that these things will affect each other but also having kind of some firm boundaries. So as much as I'm talking about the work-life blend, I've also had to learn some pretty firm boundaries and just be okay with you know, not thinking about my kid during the day. And there are certainly days where I have these moments where I'm like, oh, I miss my kid. And that feels good to miss him. But to feel also okay, like letting go of any sort of guilt around, am I doing enough for my kid while I'm at work? So I'm just really trying to stay present with what I'm doing at any given time, Mm -hmm. whether that's momming or businessing. Mm
0: -hmm. So you mentioned also that asking for help and having a good network of support around you has been instrumental in taking care of yourself and in building the work that you've built. How have you done that? How have you grown this network around you and has asking for help always come easily to you or is it something you had
1: to learn? Asking for help does not come easily to me. I'm the youngest of three kiddos. And I feel like I've always kind of been scrappy and independent. And I see a lot of those qualities in my kid too, actually. And so asking for help hasn't been very easy. I've kind of prided myself on being independent and being able to do it myself and figure it out. Really learning how to ask for help first started as learning how to collaborate. And so, learning how to collaborate with a business partner and learning how to create something together that is bigger than anything that we could do by ourselves. Like, that's kind of the first place where I was like, okay, this help thing is pretty awesome. Obviously, daycare, this is huge. And I will say, I do feel more comfortable about asking for help whenever there's are in the game from the other person. So whether mm-hmm. I'm hiring them, like, so maybe I'm hiring someone to come clean my house, or I'm hiring someone to help me watch my kid, or I have a business partner with a vested interest in us succeeding together. But asking for help that is not paid is still difficult. So an example of this is actually with this book that we're writing and launching soon we decided to ask for help from like our inner circle of bosses who have been following us almost since day one. And so we gathered like 15 to 20 people for a launch team and asking them for help by saying, Hey, can you read the book and leave us a review? This would really help our ratings and our standing because we want to write more books. Could you host a party in your local city? And And share the book there. You know, so asking for help in that way felt incredibly vulnerable. I almost didn't do it because I was so like, no, I can't ask that of people. But then realizing that people are happy to help. And I know that whenever someone asks me for help, I feel so good. Like I feel so honored that they would trust me to help them. And so realizing that asking for help can help you bond with somebody. It can help make a closer connection. And that it is this, you know, give and receive situation that is so incredibly important. So I'm really maturing into that and trying to find the line of like, where am I asking for too much help? And what does that look like? And where am I not asking for enough help? So... That's kind of my, my relationship with help. It's been difficult, I will say. I think it's so hard for so
0: many of us because we've been so cultured for so long to pretend like we can do it all, you know, which is insanity, but yet still the pressure exists. I want to make sure I leave a little bit of time to ask you all about your business slash businesses slash projects slash books. <laughs> so for people who are under a rock and have never heard of you before. Tell us a little bit about your business, both being boss and
1: Braid Creative. Sure. So I will start with Braid Creative. That was the first business that I started. I graduated from art school with a degree in graphic design, and I worked with my sister for five years at an advertising agency, pretty much out of school. And around, I don't know, 2010, I decided that I wanted to quit my job in advertising and work for myself. This is around a time that I was sharing you know, my life in blogging. And I was just starting to like drum up some interest with other creative entrepreneurs. So like I started building up this world around me just by showing up and blogging. And I was actually able to support myself freelancing for about a year. And I really learned the difference between branding and advertising and marketing and realized that branding and bringing kind of my agency experience and the strategy, like that really high level strategy that you learn working in an advertising agency, bringing it to a world of creative entrepreneurs, like photographers and designers and coaching is an industry that has blown up in the past you know, five years, really bringing that skill set to this world that's more creative so that more creatives can make money doing what they love with their branding and really blending who they are into the work that they do with personal branding. It really does feel so important to me. And it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. But you know, I say all this, this is after years of like figuring out what my own positioning and expertise is, you know, at the time, it was all unfolding very organically. But about a year after doing it on my own, I asked my sister, if she wanted to join forces with me. So she is a VP creative director. And like, we always say she's the left brain to my right. She's very methodical and logical, but also has an art degree background and does a lot of writing. And so I asked her to team up with me and we started Braid Creative together. And we've been working together ever since. And I love working with my sister. I love being able to help other creatives define who they are and what they're doing and for whom and attract their dream customers with their branding. And then about a few years ago, Mm -hmm. so a few years after launching Braid, I had been working with a business bestie and creative colleague, Emily Thompson. She helped me with my website. I helped her with her branding. We had been following each other's blogs. She actually helped me scale my one-on-one offering into an online e-course. I didn't even know about e-courses at the time. And she was like, hey, you can actually turn this into like a passive income product. And so like we kind of became business besties and we were having Skype conversations once a month or twice a month where we were really just talking about strategy and what was working and what wasn't working. We were getting really vulnerable and sharing business numbers with each other, like how much money we were making or what our newsletter list size was like. I think that she actually probably turned me on to email marketing because I didn't even know I needed a newsletter list. And so... We became business besties. We're having these conversations. And one day she sent me an email saying, Hey, let's hit publish on these conversations. Let's start a podcast. She goes, Remember whenever I told you to start an e-course and that was a good idea? She goes, I think a podcast is like the next big thing. So we started a podcast called Being Boss, where we were talking about, you know, the mindset and habits and routines and boundaries and the tribe that you have to create and really that work life blend and separation and balance and all of the things really just hitting publish on those conversations because there are a lot of creatives and solopreneurs who are working by themselves and are either craving that kind of conversation or you know think that nobody else is having these problems so we wanted to create these episodes for people to feel just a little less alone and to know that we're in it with them and we're figuring it out as we go and we're not you know overnight successes we're not that, you know, million dollar launch company, we are truly working creatives who are just figuring it out day by day and using a lot of tools and techniques in order to make it happen and in order to balance things like work and life and family and business. Mm -hmm. So we've been running that podcast now since 2015, the beginning of 2015 and whenever we launched it. So that's turned into a book now, and it accidentally turned into its whole other business. And I have basically (laughs) two full-time businesses and a bunch of side projects and just keep creating things.
0: Of course, as creative entrepreneurs are known to do. So for being Braid, you have worked with some pretty big brands. You've done Brene Brown's work, for example. What does it look like today? Are you still a two-person shop? How big's the team?
1: Yeah, that's actually a great question because we are currently expanding and growing. Like, I feel like we hit our groove about two years in, and we had landed clients like Brene Brown, and that was incredible. And we were kind of just like running things. We've had the same offering since day one. We've stayed incredibly consistent, and so I think that's been really helpful. But. In the past year or probably even since, you know, being boss really took off, my sister, who's also my business partner, was kind of thinking, well, what does this mean for Braid and what do I want and do I want something like being boss and what does that look like? And so there were some really hard conversations there as far as the growth and future of us working together, of her maybe going off on her own and, you know, what does all of it look like? And so ultimately, I was like, we've got to keep braid like what we've got here is going really well. And not only that, let's double down on it. So we actually brought in a third business partner. So it was someone, her name is Holly. We had been working with her from our ad agency days. And she really brought in like this next level strategy and thinking whenever it comes to clients that are more like small businesses and even organizations and institutions. So we've worked with some higher education institutions. We're starting to work with some financial institutions and It's been incredible. And what I've realized is that, you know, what I really wanted to do with that, with this expanding into getting some bigger clients and bigger organizations is really bringing everything that I've learned and believed in working with hundreds of creative entrepreneurs and really owning who they are and bringing more of who they are into the work that they do. I want to do the same for organizations. I think that organizations and businesses and companies are starting to really understand the power of. Of really being integrated and like bringing your whole self to your work. And I think that that can translate to your marketing and advertising as well. And yeah, so like that's how we're expanding. We've also brought on, so let's see, we have a few people. So it's like the three partners, which includes me, my sister, and Holly. And then we have a creative director, Liz, who's been with us for five years now. And we've got an account executive named Amanda that we just hired as well to service some of those bigger strategic clients that we've got. So we're still working with creative entrepreneurs, but now we're just expanding to work with bigger organizations and now to offer advertising and media buys and stuff like that. That's a team of six to eight, if I'm counting
0: that yeah, right? How many yeah. is that?
1: And then we definitely have our contractors. So right. I've got an okay. assistant and we've got some, you know, a film crew that we've been working really closely with lately as we've been doing videos for another client. So, yeah, I mean, plus I think, all
0: your distributed network, which makes sense because I imagine you're mm-hmm. bringing the right people onto the team for depending on the client.
1: Totally. Okay.
0: Yep. So, so five full time and yep. then. Lots of contractors. Yeah, that portfolio where sometimes people have like fifteen to twenty contractors. They say, "Why do I feel like all I'm doing is answering emails and managing people?" It's like because you are (laughs) right. You're actually managing what you're doing. Yeah. So I was looking through the Braid Creative website before we got on this interview, and I think branding is one of those really tricky things that not everyone understands. Or maybe it's just me. But how much time do you spend educating or vetting or filtering through to find your right clients? Or I guess another way of asking this is how do you know when somebody is not ready to work with you?
1: Ooh, this is a really good question. So I've spent a lot of time writing content about branding and I've gone deeper and deeper. I've had a blog over at Braid Creative for five years now and you know, I got really deep into like certain topics. And this year, especially I've been zooming back out and just answering the question of what is branding. So feel free to peruse some of those articles. If you really just want some top line, like here's what branding is, here's what it isn't. Here are some threats to your brand. But just to sum it up, like your brand is the look and feel. It's kind of the outer layer of who you are and what you offer. And so it kind of gives people a hint as to what they can expect if they hire you or go deeper to work with you. And so whenever it comes to our clients, Funny enough, starting being boss, it was strategically, it was going to be a platform where we could actually let people know us. We could talk about things like branding and websites and how they're used to attract dream clients in order to attract more of our own dream clients. So that is something that I've always been doing is using content as a way to attract my own dream client. So first and foremost, like a client that is good for us is one who knows who we are. And I, yeah. I, I, I feel like I sound very like privileged saying that because I also hear from so many creatives who are like, oh, I just need more clients. So I get that too. I think that positioning yourself as an expert by talking about what you do is one of the first ways you can start to get more clients. The second thing that we do to vet our potential clients is really explaining to them the process of how we work. So we work very collaboratively. In fact, whenever Brene Brown hired us, she said, hey, I'll pay you double just to design the logo. And I had to explain like, hey, our method is very collaborative and it's how we get the information we need so that we are designing you the best logo and writing the best positioning statement and brand story and messaging to go with the look and feel and identity of your brand. Mm, Um, So so, yeah, so it's really important for us to work in that way. We're always Skyping with our clients because it's one thing to email and to talk about what you do and to try and articulate it that way. It's another to have a conversation where you can really feel the energy and see the disconnects between what they're putting down on paper and what they're saying out loud. It's a really great way to get tone and intention into that brand. So that's really important for us as well. Hmm. And then the one other thing I say, and this might be for anyone in general who is thinking, do I need a new brand, you know, or should I even have a brand? I think that having three dream clients under your belt is huge whenever it comes to branding. That way you know what it is that you're doing, you know what you do best and you're branding yourself to the people that you resonate with the most. I've seen far too many people brand themselves for a business that they don't even know if they like yet or not. And that is going to be a huge waste of time and money. So definitely you have the thing that you wanna sell, Sell it a few times and then brand yourself. Mm. That's so interesting. That's so interesting to
0: me because I never know where to put branding in the process of business building because it's like you need enough to get started, but it can be scrappy. But then at some point, it's so important to do and to do well and to do right. And it sounds like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying that. Don't do a huge branding exercise too soon before you've done the work, to use your phrase. Do the work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But have enough clients under the belt so that you can invest in this thing so that you can continue to attracting the clients that you want to be working with.
1: Yeah. I mean, my business is branding and I truly believe that making your outer self, you know, really articulate your insights, all of that wealth of knowledge that you have and talent and skills. I think that it can do a lot to get the right customers and to look professional and to look polished and to really explain what it is that you're doing and what you sell and how you solve problems. Like a hundred percent essential. I believe in the power of branding. I just see far too many people putting all of their eggs in that branding basket whenever they need to think about some other things like what they're actually selling or who they're actually helping. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. And for being boss, what's next? Do you see yourself podcasting for a long time? Do you have a 12-month horizon? Like where are you at? Your
1: such a good question. (laughs) How how many episodes are you in on podcasting?
0: Um, About 50.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good place to be. Like for me, we have been podcasting for three years and it is like, oh, do we keep going? And as long as people are listening and keeps growing and we still feel like we're sharing valuable content and interviewing really amazing guests, I could do it forever. My favorite thing is getting to have conversations with creatives. So even in our book, Being Boss, we have this exercise called Dream Day and we ask, you know, what do you wanna be doing all day? And part of my dream day is thinking about you know sitting down at my laptop opening it up and getting to have conversations like I'm having with you today Sarah this is like a total dream job mm-hmm. and so whenever it comes to being boss and thinking about that it's a dream to get be able to chat with Emily and to hit publish and to get paid for that we just wrote a book called Being Boss and that's really taking the pillars and the foundation of what it means to be boss. So looking at cultivating confidence and setting up habits and routines that can put you on autopilot whenever you are sleep deprived so that you can still get the work done. Mm -hmm. Setting up boundaries so that you're saying yes to the right things and no to the things that are distractions. We took all of our best content from years of recording the podcast and put them in a book. So it's not like though we just are transcribing some of our episodes and putting in a book like we sat down and wrote it together for about four months is how long it took us to write it. And I loved getting to do that. So I would love to write more books with Emily. We've started daydreaming about a TV show. And that feels like a really big goal. But I'm putting it out there because I think it would be a lot of fun. So maybe that starts as a YouTube channel. But I'm imagining like seeing us on Netflix. Like that's what I want. Ooh.
0: I love this dream. Yeah, but you've (laughs) got to have all of these scales of dreams
1: because if you don't dream it, right – how are you going to see it when it comes up and hits you? <laughs> and it's so funny because like the more specific you can get about your dreams too, but not always, you know, I was just thinking earlier today, as I was driving home from the gym, I was thinking, you know, I used to think it would be a cool job to be a radio broadcaster. I always thought that that would be so much fun. And now I realized, oh, wait, I'm kind of doing that just in a way I never imagined. So yeah. I think it is cool to get specific about your dreams and to, you know, think about what it would feel like for that dream to be fulfilled, mm. and then kind of watch it show up a few years or a few decades later.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love these dreams. And I think something so interesting about podcasting is that you can have a 100 conversations and feel like you've covered all the topics once, but we're human. We don't learn something the first time we hear it. It takes us many iterations and different conversations for people to finally land, for it to finally land with me. So that's one yeah. of the, that's one of the fun things on my end about having these conversations is like, Either it's the sleep deprivation from being a parent or it's my slow learning curve
1: in business, but sometimes I'm like, oh, finally, I'm getting it.
0: After the no, dozens of conversations. You're so right.
1: You're so right. And I think that just being able to talk it out, you know, the content that we're creating is shaping who we're becoming. Yes. And so, podcasting is another place where we get to really explore what is it that I actually think. And also, we can change our minds at any point. There are certainly things I've said early in my podcasting career that I take back now, or things have evolved, like it's irrelevant, or things have changed, or I'm seeing it through a new lens.
0: Right.
1: So, yeah. Right.
0: I love this. I agree. I would have conversations like this all day. Um, (laughs) Where can people find you and find your book? Tell us where you are in the social web and your websites.
1: Of course. You can find the book anywhere books are sold. So, or you can also go to beingboss.club slash book. And that's also our website there. Braid Creative is at braidcreative.com. And then I'm on the social. So you can just look up being boss or you can look up Kathleen Shannon and you will find me on Instagram.
0: Oh, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I promised at the beginning of the episode to tell you a little bit more about the pumping journey and about how Aeroflow Breast Pumps works. They are the sponsor of this episode. So for all of you breastfeeding and pumping mamas, here is the info that you wanted. Aeroflow Breast Pumps makes the process of getting a breast pump covered through your insurance as easy as possible. They have dedicated and informed breast pump specialists to help you navigate insurance by taking care of the paperwork, the phone calls, and the prescription requests so that you can take it easy. They're available by phone, text, or email to answer any questions you have during this exciting time in your life. One of the trickiest things is the timing of everything. A lot of insurance plans only allow you to get a pump within 30 days of your due date. Let me tell you, figuring out when that baby is going to arrive and then getting everything done within these exact timeframes can be really hard. They take care of everything, including contacting your physician for a prescription, recommending the best breast pump options for you and your lifestyle, billing and processing those insurance claims, and shipping the breast pump to your door free of charge the entire process is totally free. So if you want to work with them to get your breast pump, go to aeroflowbreastpumps.com/startup and they will get you started right away. Thanks for being a sponsor of Working Pumping Mamas Aeroflow Breast Pumps. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, If you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit it home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, If you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page, and you can buy us a cup of coffee, or two, or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on startuppregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.